G'day, my name's Chris Anderson. Welcome to another episode of Brisbane Wisdom. And today I'm sitting down with my first ever sales boss from Toronto, uh, where I worked at Investors Group. His name is Ermos Orotokritu. And apologies if I've mispronounced that. And um, Ermos was with IG for around 20 years, and he's had an amazing uh, career over that time and now been able to step away and do some other things. I'm looking forward to jumping into everything um, that Ermos has to say, and I certainly appreciate that he was a, a, a great role model for me starting in sales. Ermos, what can you tell us about yourself? Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. Um, well, as, as you mentioned, I was uh, in sales for 20 years. I loved everything about what I was doing, very passionate. I believe that, you know, part of my success, or maybe a lot of my success, um, was based on, you know, make, uh, providing value to other people, making sure they were successful. You know, the saying where if you provide enough people with what they want, you eventually get what, what you want. And I was all about servicing and serving others. And I think that... Uh, that actually played well for them, but also played well for myself and and what I got out of life. Fantastic. And yeah, I certainly appreciate in, in some of the things that you did for us in obviously you're helping us to sell more, but one of the big things that you did, and I'd, I'd love to just maybe start from the start with this. I, I went along to, I'd never heard of Investors Group. I'm from Australia. I went along to this thing and I was sort of like, oh, all right, it's finance. I've worked in finance before. I don't think I'll be that interested in it. But then you were standing at the front of a room telling us about what this opportunity was. And it seems like that's something that you did fairly regularly. How, can, you, can you walk us through how you went about building that Midtown business to the size that it became? Absolutely. Yes, uh, that is quite the story. Um, just to give you some perspective when I took over that office, uh, part of my office was split off to another region um, as they were expanding. So my starting number was about $310 million of asset center management, which is not huge. I mean, it's not tiny, but it's not not big in any stretch. And within eight years, we managed to quadruple that to $1.1 billion. And then from there, we uh, I was moved down to I guess we'll call it the flagship office in downtown Toronto. So I was managing a $2.1 billion office. So within 10 years from 300 million or a little over 300 million to 2.1 billion is um, quite a lot of, quite a lot of difference and quite a lot of growth, but Midtown was special. You were part of that. And that was, that was fantastic. And the reason I think, you know, it, it's near and dear to my heart was because I felt like I built it from the ground up. And and when I say I, I really should include pretty much every single consultant and every single division director that was part of that, because I had, uh, as you know, Chris, you know, uh, open door policy. People will come in, felt comfortable sharing ideas. Um, so there were a lot of failures along the way, but also a lot of successes. And we were always looking for ways to improve the the lives of clients, obviously, but also the lives of our uh, advisors or our consultants. So we did a lot of things, a lot of support, a lot of value. But I think what set us apart as a region and really put Midtown on the map was just our culture that we built uh, over the years. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard from other consultants 
that would uh, come up to me and say, man, I wish our region was more like your region. You guys do so much stuff and you guys write big numbers, but at the same time, you have so much fun. Uh, I wish I was part of your culture. So I think out of, out of all the successes that happened uh, and all the money aside and all the growth, I think the culture is, is what I look back on right now and think that's what I'm most proud of. Like people didn't say they worked for Investors Group. They, they said they worked for Midtown. And to me, that was the ultimate compliment because it wasn't just a job to them. It was, it was family. And, and for me, it, it certainly was. Um, some, of the best, some of the best friends I have today were the people that uh, I work with at Midtown. And I'd, what I'd love to jump into, obviously, I've worked in real estate since I was at IG, and I've worked with companies that recruit really well. And I guess I, I didn't, I didn't see like exactly how that business operated, but my understanding was that one of the things that you did really well was to be able to recruit regularly. Is that? Do you think that that's that was one of the skills that you had to help you grow that business? Absolutely. You know, um, we did recruit more than any other office, but at the same time, um, no other office had the amount of referrals uh, that, that we had either. So um, we, we had what's called career sessions uh, weekly or pretty much every, every week, I would say at least 48 times a year. And we averaged about 20 people, you know, per session, which is an enormous number over, cor- over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the recruits that we had uh, on, a, on a gross level, um, yeah, we, we definitely led the region but as, or led the company. But when you look at the percentage of people that we hired, it was probably middle of the pack or even lower. So the reason our numbers were so high wasn't because we were just bringing on anybody. It's because we were just getting in front of so many people. And I think that, you know, parlayed into the culture in the sense that the consultants realize, Hey, you know, this is a numbers game. The more people I talk to, the more sales I'm going to make, the more successful I'm going to make be the more, the more money I'm going to make. So it kind of, it I kind of led by example. I mean, obviously I didn't have clients. So the only way that I could lead by example is by going out there and recruiting amazing people, which includes yourself, Chris, by the way. Um, and that was amazing. And that, and that, that helped the culture. And, you know, when half the room is, referrals from other advisors that love to work there, it makes my job a heck of a lot easier to try to recruit them uh, if they were the right fit because they kind of already got an inside view of what they can expect if they worked uh, at my office. Hmm. And I think the the other thing that, and it's I think it's lucky for me to have gone to Toronto and ended up at Midtown with you where I can see that you're recruiting heavily but you also value training and a growth mindset heavily. And then when I went to real estate companies, I ended up at Keller Williams who really do exactly the same thing. Lots of recruiting, lots of training, lots of probably NLP or something along those lines, something to do with personal growth or, or something along those lines. And it just so happened that I work with sales leaders that worked in that same manner. And I'd never really come across that before. Can you walk me through that? growth mindset and that value of training over time? Yeah, big believer of uh, can I, which is constant and never ending improvement. And again, I practice what I preached. Um, Just some examples, you know, people will come into my office and we discuss their goals for the following year. 
And every once in a while, someone will say, well, I need to, you know, reduce the hours of my assistant, or I'm going to cut back on this and cut back on that. And, you know, my question would be, well, well, why? And, you know, the response would be something along the lines of, well, you know, I'm not sure if I can afford it. And I, re- and I would remind them that, you know, they are in a commission-based uh, role. So you decide what your, what your income is going to be. So I would explain to them that, you know, you don't have an expense problem, you have a revenue problem. So if you don't want to reduce the hours of your assistant or you don't want to cut back in any way, then what you have to do is find a way to make more money. And that way you can afford uh, everything that you, you supposedly want to cut and, and more. So that was part of the mindset. And then, of course, you know, if you recall, Chris, we had all kinds of seminars and trainings and, you know, I think our training training schedule was like three times a week. And that didn't include the one-on-ones with myself and the other division directors. So there was never, there was never a scarcity of, of ways to motivate people or get motivated. So the growth mindset is huge for me. And uh, a lot of times I practice what I preach. If you remember, I also had those weekly emails I would send out every single, um, well, I would send out, I think it was Sunday night and I'd work on it over, over the course of a weekend. And people come to me sometimes and they say, you know, Aramos, you're wasting your time. Probably 10% of the consultants uh, even read those emails. uh, And it takes you like 10 hours to put it together. And I would remind them that, yeah, you know what? It's great that 10% of the consultants are actually reading it and maybe taking it to heart, maybe absorbing it and, and implementing it. But I said, part of the reason why I do it, it's not just for them. It's for me. I mean, think about it. I would have to spend five, eight, 10 hours on my weekend watching motivational videos or inspirational videos or educational videos to put that email together. So yes, it was great that, you know, that some consultants were, were using it and running with it. But in my mind, even if not a single consultant read it, it was still to my benefit as well. So I continued with those emails for many, many years um, because it helped with my growth and my, and, and um, my development as well. Let's just talk about that growth side. I understand that your first role, you were working as an accountant. Is that right? Or something similar? Uh, accounting background. I, I mean, I didn't have clients that, that did tax filing. It was more accounts payable, yep. accounts receivable. Yep. So I was, in, I was in an accounting department in a major hotel chain. Okay. And how did you end up in sales? Or how did you end up at IG? Was IG the first thing you did after that? Yeah, it was. You know, it's an interesting story. So my office in this um, in this hotel was one with no windows. It was um, me and one other person. And, you know, one of the things which I enjoy doing is interacting with people and helping people and just having that, that uh, communication. And I was getting none of that there. So I would walk in. And I mean, picture, imagine this, um, not sure how the winters are in, in Australia. I'm sure they're a lot better than they are in Canada. But as you know, in the winter months in Canada, it gets dark at maybe what, 4 p.m. And the sun doesn't come up until like 8 or 9 p.m. So that there or a.m. Sorry, like there will be days where, you know, I'm driving to work in the dark and I would park underground and then I'll walk to my office. Uh, lunch I would have, you know, in my office. And then I would leave the office at whatever, 5 or 6 p.m. And as I'm leaving, it's still dark. 
So there will be times where I might not see sunlight for three or four days unless I decide to go out for a walk, uh, you know, in the afternoon. And I was slowly dying inside. I realized this wasn't something that I, that I, that I enjoyed doing. Um, I was okay with the number side, but I didn't feel like I was making a difference. And I knew that I wasn't going to be there long term. Now, it turns out that, you know, I was investing, I was a client of Investors Group. And my consultant at the time, his name is Don Mulvey. He had the group uh, RSP for uh, our company. Mm-hmm. And we always had great conversations. And I would ask him questions about finance. And I did a lot of stuff on the side. So I was learning stuff about finance and investing and insurance and estate planning and tax planning. All for fun. I, I wasn't doing it for, obviously, uh, um, money generating reasons. I was doing it because I actually enjoyed it. Mm. And then it came to a point where, you know, I start asking Don, you know, is Mrs. Group hiring? And, you know, what does it take to become an advisor? And then one thing led to the other. And next thing you know, I ended up being in a career session just like you did, Chris. And uh, there's a gentleman at the front of the room and he was explaining how this business works. And I'm like, a light bulb went off. I'm thinking, this is exactly what I want to do. Like, here's an opportunity to make unlimited amounts of money. And the only way that I can make money is by helping other people first. And to me, this was like the perfect combination. Uh, I just love the idea that you can, you know, you're building, um, you know, as you know, you know, you, you, you work out, you work your first year, you earn, you bring on 25 clients, you're getting paid on 25 clients, but then you go out there and you work your second year, you get 25 more, but now you're getting paid on 50 clients. And it's just something you can grow on, grow exponentially over time. Um, so to me, that was very appealing. And that's how I started 20 years ago as a financial consultant. And during that time, I did, I did pretty well, won some awards as a, as a consultant. And about five years in, I became a division director. And then five years after that, I became a regional director. So my path was, was pretty meteor, meteoric, meteoric, I guess. Um, but I enjoyed every minute of it. I, I did up until the last maybe couple of years where um, some new... Uh, leadership came in and, and in my opinion, uh, really did a number on the, on the culture. The, all the other stuff, the cuts was fine. But when the culture started to die, I realized, you know, my time there uh, was limited and I, and I really wanted to change because I just, I wasn't happy. And life is way too short to not be happy. And that's when I decided to move on. And that was about uh, February 27th of 2020. So I guess uh, about a year and a half ago. I think I, I when I when I first met you, I guess I could really appreciate the way that you did things because I could see some similarities in the way that I do things. And I'd just come from working in management consulting that was in a nice office in a good company, but I realized that I'm not a great person to just sit there and write reports all day. And so I really benefit from people around me that have a positive mindset and for me to be able to infect people with a good mindset. But I also realize that the way that I am, if I'm not feeling well, I can make people feel really bad as well. You know, (laughs) either way, I am infectious. Do you know what I mean? And so if I'm in a bad environment, that really hurts me and I really know how that how that feels so yeah i'm sorry to hear that that was sort of what happened over time but no regrets um, chris none, none at all yeah and um 
And so I guess thinking back over um, everything that you did there, just as you were speaking, was the was the weekly newsletter called Exponential Growth or something like that? I believe it was something exponential. Yes, um, there were several. There were several pieces that I would send out on a weekly basis, and yeah. I do believe the word exponential growth was in there somewhere. Yeah, and so how's it been for you to have a look at options after you've been there for for such a long time to to reconsider what you what you want in your life? Oh man, um, again, it's just it was it's just so eye opening. Um, you know, too many, too many people spend, uh, too much time being bitter when they should be spending time getting better. And I look at all the years at investors group. And even though I didn't leave on the best of terms well, with the firm, I am so grateful, uh, for the time that I spent there. I, I learned a lot and I think, um, not, I think I know for a fact that, you know, going through what I did at Investors Group <clears throat> over those years, um, and I'm talking about the, the good times, the personal growth, and all that stuff, um, it really set me up for what I believe is the next evolution of my life, which is, it, it's, it's going to be exponential, and it's already started to be exponential. Um, it's interesting, you know, I was so immersed in the IG culture that it, it literally took me two weeks to get that out of my mind. So even though I left on February 27th and I was looking for other opportunities um, for two whole weeks, it just seemed like my thought process still revolved around, you know, investors group and, and just people there and emails. And cause you know, when I was, when I, when I was in it, I didn't really notice it, but I look back now and I'm thinking, I would go on vacation and I would still check emails. Now, some people would argue, you know, that's, you shouldn't be doing that. And it's probably true. Um, but I just couldn't help it because again, it wasn't because I was worried about anything. It's just, I always felt, what if somebody needs me? Like, what if, what if somebody it, uh, needs me urgently? How would I know? Uh, like I wouldn't, I would never know if I didn't check my emails. So for a couple of reasons, one, you know, just making sure my, my people are taken care of. But secondly, in my mind, I was thinking, well, I don't want to go back to the office after a week of vacation and have a thousand emails sitting in my inbox. So I'll just spend half an hour at the end of each day and just kind of go through a bunch of them, delete whatever I can. So that when I go back to work, then, you know, my schedule, or I won't be buried under all these, under all these emails. Hmm. And looking back now, I would probably do things uh, differently. I probably would not check the emails, but it is what it is. Um, but because of that, I could not look past or outside of IG when it came to other opportunities, even though I've always had that mindset of, you know, always thinking outside the box and always looking for opportunities. All the opportunities revolved around my consultants and investors group, which is fine because that was my world. But now that I'm out of IG, and uh, I got a chance to clear my head of all the IG, we'll call it clutter for lack of a better term. Then I started looking around, I'm thinking, I just cannot believe how many opportunities there are out there that I've, I'd never seen before. And I can tell you, Chris, without a doubt, that if I was still working at IG, I would have not noticed these opportunities. So um, in a very short period of time, uh, I've become a franchise owner, uh, I've become an author, 
Um, I've teamed up with some amazing people like Les Brown. Um, there's a book coming out in October, which I'm uh, proud to be part of as well. So there's a lot of things that are happening right now. And that's just uh, that's just the things that I'm immersed in. Like right now, there's two or three other opportunities that I'm looking at as well <clears throat> that, uh, that I'm excited about too. So it just seems that, you know, once you get out of, once you get out of, uh, um, I don't know, the cloud, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't think of the term, but mm-hmm. again, I don't, I don't want to forest. sound like a negative. I'm sorry. Almost like out of the forest. You can see the trees. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. You, you said it great. Um, yeah. It's almost like the world opened up and I realize now that I'm going to be so much better off uh uh, outside of IG. And again, it's not to say that was, wasn't good in IG. It's just, I did amazing at IG. And now I look at it now, I'm thinking I'm going to be 10 X where I was from IG in, in, in a few years. And that to me is exciting. Um, yeah, the opportunities out there is just enormous. And, um, if anything I can, I can help your listeners with is to let them know that, you know, the opportunities that there really are limitless and I'm sure Australia is very much like Canada in that sense. Um, you just gotta, you just gotta keep an open mind and look for the opportunities, and most importantly, like act on them. Like, don't just think of something. If you think of something which is a good idea, get out there, do the research, talk to some people, you know, get a mentor, and see where that leads you. Because it is, it is amazing and exciting um, when you start getting into some of these things. And I think the the interesting. The interesting side of that is you, similar to me, start in accounting slash finance and you realize that you can get a good paycheck and then obviously you step into a commission-only sales role where the sky is the limit, but you need to see that you can make things happen. And then eventually you step into a role where you have to shape people's mindset so that they can see that exactly that is the case. And again... I was I still couldn't really see it when I was there and I still couldn't build the habits while I was there and it was not until I ended up in a firm that did a lot more cold calling that I I could just fit in with the habit of that firm and it, it again it was culture that helped me fit in there because I I could see that it was on an auto dialer they pulled the numbers differently than we did at IG and so that they could make a lot more calls. And but it wasn't until I was in this new culture that I could see that. And and again, um, it's it's interesting too to to meet people along the way who are able to show up every day and get a lot done in their day um and see how it is that they shape their day. Because it's until you see someone and, and hopefully it's someone that's that's nearby doing things um that you thought were previously unachievable that you start to believe that you could do the same thing. Yes. And I sort of wonder how it is that you start each day or go about each day to keep the mindset that you have. Oh man. It, it really is the little things, Chris. It, it truly is. Um, I, I wish I can say I wake up and meditate for five, 10 minutes. I've, I've tried it. It's just not my thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and again, there's people out there that swear by it and I believe them. 
it's just not my thing. So that's not what I do. Um, but you know, I do listen to a lot of, uh, motivational people. Um, and not just the, not just the, the raw, raw stuff, like, like it, motivational in the sense that, you know, something you can sink your teeth into and, and, and apply. So, um, Robin Sharma has this thing called the 5am club. And, uh, at first I thought that was just an insane, absolutely in, in, insane concept. Like who the heck wakes up at five o'clock in the morning? I was the guy that woke up at whatever, seven, eight, hit the snooze button a couple of times. And then like last minute you get up and you know me, Chris too, I'm, I'm motivated. Um, so it's not like I don't want to go to work. You know, I just needed my sleep. Mm. And what happened was I, you know, I, I gradually got there, you know, I started waking up at seven, you know, set my alarm for seven and, you know, make sure I had something to do right away, whether it's working out or reading something motivational or, you know, whatever it is, you know, and then I got to 630, then I got to six then 530 then five. And for a while, maybe a couple of weeks, you know, I needed my alarm clock to, to wake up at five. But now it's just my natural, my natural biological clock gets me up at five o'clock. And it's, and it's crazy because you can set, you can set my wake up time two o'clock. It's, I'm, and you know, I wake up and I look at my phone and it's like four fifty five or five ten. Like it's always within that 15 minute window. And it, and it doesn't matter whether I go to bed at midnight or whether I go to bed at nine thirty, ten o'clock, my body just knows to wake up at 5am and I wake up at 5am and I feel refreshed and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm ready to go. So the first thing that I always do is I always do something, uh, that's going to kind of get me, get me going. So, um, the, the great thing about waking up at 5am is you never have an excuse not to work out. You know, if you wake up and you have just enough time to get ready for work and you go to work, well, good luck trying to squeeze in that one hour workout because you're always going to find an excuse that you have no time or you got busy at work or for whatever reason, you're too tired at the end of the day and you can't work out. Well, when you wake up at 5 a.m., you're basically giving yourself a probably three hour head start in the world. There is no excuse not to get that workout in. So I did manage to get myself into the best shape of my life uh, at age 50 uh, because I removed the excuses of working out every day. So that's one thing that I do is I work out. Um, if, if not the first thing that I, that I wake up, uh, certainly within the first couple hours I'm, I'm working out. So there's no excuse there. Mm-hmm. Um, I go on my, on my Instagram. I usually post something, uh, inspirational, uh, again, not necessarily for my followers, but I, I do it for myself. I do a little bit of research. I get myself pumped up. I get my, my mindset, uh, properly, uh, and ready to go to start my day. And throughout the day, if I, if I have time, you know, I, I, I do like to listen to a lot of, uh, audible, uh, mostly business related, um, again, um, mindset type stuff. So those are the kind of things that kind of get me going and keep me going throughout the day. So I don't watch TV. If I watch anything, it's going to be, uh, YouTube videos on, on things that interest me things that are again, motivational or inspirational or educational. Um, you know, I I do watch Netflix. I do watch some movies here and there, but for the most part, you know, I truly believe that, you know, motivation is like bathing. It's required daily. And I don't do it because I feel like I have to, I I do it because I truly, uh, you know, I love this stuff. I, 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 I live in, I live and breathe it. Um, I wish more people would actually do it. And I think if they took the time, um, they would realize that it does really make a difference in people's lives. 
And um, what did you find, like, let's say for people who maybe don't have a daily habit or maybe walk into the office a bit flat, when you obviously had 20 years or probably 10 years when you were in a management role at IG, where you would meet people who would come in with a certain mindset and then they would change over time. What did you find was the most helpful thing for a lot of people in, in cultivating that positive mindset? Oh, that's a good question. And, and unfortunately, the reality is there are some people that you just, you just can't help. Um, and it's not that you can't help them over time, but you know, it's not like you're, you're, you're living with them. You can't force feed them positivity. Um, but you can help them along the way. And for those that eventually gravitate towards it, they'll accept it and they'll absorb it and they'll make it part of their being. And for that, you know, you can actually take somebody with, with a kind of a negative or a fixed mindset and move them into a positive growth mindset. And it's, again, it's all the little things, you know, you can't just go and take a course for a weekend and think that all of a sudden you have a positive mindset or you have the growth mindset. It is something which is required on a, on a very regular basis. And I also believe that, you know, you turn into what you tune into. So if you, if all you're doing is watching, uh, news all day and maybe this is a tip that people should know if you're watching news just stop like if it's important enough you will find out you don't need to watch this garbage 24 hours a day it, it truly is just toxic um it'll it'll put you in a bad mood it'll it'll crush your soul um stop watching news stop reading news um you know turn that crap off and you know start listening to more motivational stuff to kind of get you through the day um, so to answer your question, Chris, it really is the, the little things which make the biggest difference, uh, in, in creating a positive mindset and growth mindset. And one thing that interests me, and, and I, I certainly know that at times I can deal with this, but are there times where you're almost, your positivity, people just can't believe it? Like you, you have a goal and then they other people just can't see it, can't see that that would be your goal and that that, that would be achievable. So, sorry, can you rephrase that question? I'm not sure. That's all right. So, like, obviously, you're a super positive person. You're you're going to get up every day. You're going to do the work to, to get what you want. Are there times where you are so positive and so sure that you can achieve something that, uh, there's detractors there who basically go, oh, that's, that's not achievable, mate. You can't, you actually, you're not going to be able to do that. And obviously for you, it's like, all right, well, watch me because I am going to do it. But do, do you find that there, you come across people who, who try and knock you down and say that those things aren't achievable? I love those people. Those are the <laughs> best people. Um, yeah, because uh, you know, as much as I get, as much as I get uh, motivated by by positivity, um, I get even more motivated by people telling me I can't do something. So if you tell me I can't achieve X, Y, Z, well, by God, I'm going to just achieve X, Y, Z or, or die trying. You know, we can't control the thoughts that come into our minds, but we can't control the thoughts that we dwell on. So, you know, I, I, will, it, I will do it just to prove them wrong. So, yeah, there were lots of people that would come up and tell me, no, you can't achieve this. 
And I loved proving them wrong. And, you know, at the end of the day, it really, you know, if, if, if it's to be, it's up to me. And if I believe that I can do it, then, then I'm definitely going to do it. And it's happened so many times in my life that now I've reached a point where I truly believe that there's nothing that I, that I can't accomplish if I want it bad enough. Can you, can you think about some of those first stepping stones of, of maybe a, a stretch goal that you didn't think you were going to achieve that you did? I think so. I'm not sure if this was necessarily a, a goal, mm -hmm. but you know, uh, oh, okay. So yeah. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Chris, but you know, there was rankings at investors group. They used to rank all the regional directors from one to 120 or 125, whatever there was at the time. And depending on a, a, an array of different, you know, results, um, you'd move up or down those rankings depending on how, how well you were doing. And again, there's a, there's a gentleman that, that, uh, his name is Bill Charles and he was the VP, at, uh, or actually, actually he was the executive VP at the time. And I was winning those awards as a division director mm -hmm. and he knew how much I enjoyed winning, competing and winning those awards. And, you know, when I was applying for the regional director role for Midtown, you know, I remember him saying to me, you know, how are you going to feel, you know, not winning the trip next year? Because I had won this trip five years in a row. And it's, a, it's only the top 5% that win this trip. So it's not an, an easy task to accomplish. And, uh, and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, as a regional director, you're basically starting from scratch. It's going to be tough for you to win that, to, to win that trip. And it's, he wasn't saying that you know, out of malice, he was just saying that in his mind, as a matter of fact, you know, you're starting from scratch, you know, it's gonna be very difficult to finish in the top 5%. Uh, I believe it's the top eight out of the 120, 124 regional directors that won the trip. And I just took it as, watch me, you, you know, I'm just, I'm gonna give it all I got and, and, uh, and just see what happens. And sure enough, not only did I win the trip, I actually finished number one in the country which had never been done before in the entire history of investors group for a brand new regional director to finish number one. I, I knocked off some giants at the time. Um, and of course I didn't realize what a big feat that was until later on when I realized, you know, some of the other regional directors who were absolutely amazing people, but you know, I, I came into the region with just a huge amount of energy and new ideas and, and uh, changed the mindset of my division directors, which in, in turn changed the mindset of a lot of the consultants and the new recruits. And we just got on a huge roll. That first year was just a, a roller coaster of just uh, amazing first. Um, yeah. I look back. I mean, there's a lot of good years at investors group, but that first year at Midtown was truly something special. Like I was working and, and I'm not suggesting people should do this, but um, when I first became the region director at Midtown, I actually um, rented an apartment right next door to the office so that I can be the very first person in the office in the morning to turn on lights and the very last person uh, leaving the office to turn off the lights. So I, I truly was working probably 80 hour weeks and that was just physically in the office. And then I would still be taking my computer home on weekends. Again, I, I look back now and it's probably wasn't best way to go about things but that's just the way i was built at the time mm -hmm. but you know when you're working 80 to 100 hours a week it really rubs off on other people uh the work ethic went through the roof in the office 
uh, people that uh, weren't wearing ties knew that there was a dress code now. Um, it, it truly was, it, it truly was a, a, a special um, thing to happen and, you know, culminated into being the number one regional director in the country in my first year, which I assume will probably never happen again because it didn't happen up to that point. So that's one thing that was told to me that I, I couldn't do it and I did it. There's several other as well. Um, I remember I used to do career sessions as a division director. Um, so basically what, what other other regions were doing or other offices were doing as a, as a, as a region, I took it upon myself to do it as a division director. I, it's almost like I wanted to build a region within a region. That's how big my goals were. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, walking into Midtown, my very first management meeting, my division director said, oh, we tried career sessions. They, they just don't work in our area. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Um, and I've already, I've already kind of touched on this. You know, we took uh, a region which didn't even do career sessions because they were so bad to the number one region in the country based on career sessions. So again, uh, there's probably tons of stories like that where people would tell me, you know, this doesn't work or we can't do this or this will never work. You know, you're never going to get this off the ground. And it's almost as if I, I thrived on people telling me I can't do something just so I can go out there and do it. And just interesting about that. So, I know a little bit about IG. I probably don't have it um, really in my head about how it all works, but you start out as a consultant, you're a standalone salesperson, you become a division director, and then are you still selling on your own or you're only selling from the people underneath you at that point? No, as a division director, it's kind of like two roles in one. Um, yep. You still have, I still had my own clients. I still had to yep. build my clientele. Um, but at the same time, I had to support other uh, advisors. Mm-hmm. Um, but all it did was teach me how to manage my time better. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this actually came up the other day. People were talking about how in, in our, our industry, in the, fin- in the financial services industry, people will make the comment that, oh, it's summertime is, is dead time. And nobody wants to see you. Uh, not a lot of business get, gets written. And that was another example of people telling me something that I couldn't do and I did it anyways. You know, I had a fairly big division as well. So, you know, January and February was RSP season uh, in Canada. So, you know, busy, you know, uh, servicing my clients um, to take care of that. And, um, and of course, my advisors too. And then March and April were tax season. So for the first four months of my year, they were completely written off, extremely busy, taking care of my existing clients and taking care of my uh, my advisors clients as well, or at least my advisors in helping them service their clients. And then the only time I could actually had a chance to prospect for some of my new clients was summertime. So I had no choice. That was the only time I could, I could prospect for new clients. And people said, no one shows the seminars in the summertime. Well, I proved them wrong. You know, nobody wants to meet you in the summertime. I proved them wrong. Um, you know, everything they told me about, you know, summer being slow, I, I, I proved them wrong. You know, I was, even with a division, I was still ranked among the top, you know, top 10 consultants in, in the region um, based on my personal numbers. It had nothing to do with my division. And I would say probably 60 to 70% of my total business was written in, uh, in the summertime. Awesome. 
And I think the one thing that's interesting, obviously, again, I've worked in finance, work in real estate now, and I, I find it interesting that a, a lot of people who've grown up saying that they're the salesperson and that they've got really good personal numbers are not necessarily willing to step into a role where they're not doing anything on their own. How did you mm -hmm. go from giving away all of your clients to then managing division directors and, and salespeople or consultants? Oh, my God, Chris, that was so hard. Um, that was so hard. Um, unless you actually go through it, I don't think people will understand. Because for me, my clients, I, I, and this is kind of might sound cliche-ish, but they, they were very much like part of my family. Um, you know, I was very much about building the relationship with my clients. You know, I didn't want to be the guy that just came in, talk numbers, and then just walk out the door. You know, many times uh, I did things that were not good business sense, but it was good relationship and just being a good human being sense. Um, example would be, you know, some advisors say I refuse to meet people in their homes. Um, it's not a good, it's not a good, um, time spent having to drive there and back and, and business wise, it makes absolute sense. But the reason why I enjoyed meeting my clients in their homes was because they felt more comfortable. Um, I would get a chance to interact with their kids. You know, you look at the pictures on their wall, you find out what's truly important to them, uh, whether it's fishing or hunting or sports, you know, I just found that, you know, visiting my clients in their homes really opened them up a lot more. You know, and, and a lot of times it included some drinks and, and dinners that, that were served and we just laughed and, you know, what, what, what should be just a, you know, a, a, a meeting talking about finance and their money ends up being a conversation about life lessons and how they grew up and they talk about their vacation and they show me, you know, pictures of their grandkids. So they really opened up. So my clients to me were like, I, I cherish them. I, I cherish their relationship. And when I had to give them up, that was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do uh, at Investors Group. And um, like I, I knew I had to give them up. There's no possible way I could be servicing all these clients and at the same time managing a huge office. So it was uh, inevitable and it was very hard. And believe it or not, like years later, uh, a month ago, I even got... Um, a call from a, um, an ex-client who's still an IG client with a very competent advisor, by the way. And she still calls me out of the blue just to pick my brain and ask me questions. You know, my advisor said this, but, you know, what are your thoughts? Because, I, you know, I really trust you. And remember, I, she hasn't been my client for 12 years. 12 years, Chris, she hasn't been my client officially. And yet she still thinks about me and reaches out and just to ask me a question about her, about uh, uh, well, she was asking about a pension that she has at her at her work. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was that was extremely difficult. Um, yeah, it, I, I mean, obviously, I got through it. But looking back now, I can I can honestly say that was to this day one of the hardest things I ever had to do was to uh, give up my clients. And so you went from division director still in sort of top 10 in the region for your own personal work as well to giving up all your clients and running the region and then becoming number one across the country at investors group as a regional director. If you pick up, pick out sort of the top three things that you did that year, apart from working 80 to a hundred hours a week, what was it that got you that amazing result? I, I think it was, 
it was instilling the belief. It, it, it was, it was almost not even almost. It was us against the world. We were this tiny region, insignificant. Um, you know, we didn't have any any heavy hitters. We didn't have any massive advisors with huge books of business. It was just a bunch of blue collar, mostly younger uh, advisors that were hungry and they were just looking for someone to come in and lead them. And it, it, I think back now and I'm thinking like that was, for me, that was probably the best scenario to walk into because there was a lot of people in the first three or four years in the business that were just looking and they were thirsty for some leadership um, and not just leadership in, oh, here's a concept or yeah, work harder, like leadership in the sense that instilling the beliefs that they're worthy to get these huge million dollar clients or close a doctor or dentist or, or whatever it is. So, you know, um, probably the, the first thing was to really get my division directors and, and or to rally my division directors. Like they were basically my generals going into the field and, you know, passing on the message or, or, um, supporting that message on a, on a, on a regular basis. So putting the right people in place was very important. So made some changes at the division director level, um, brought on some, some, some hotshot division directors as well that were hungry to be able to train the other advisors. So that was definitely part of it. It all started with the, the management team. And then from there it was creating all this support. Like I never, ever, ever wanted anyone in my region to fail in this business and ever blame like myself or investors group. Um, and, and I, I hope to this day, I can say that that's never happened where anyone could come out and say, yeah, I would have made it, but you know, Amos didn't care enough or he didn't provide enough support or enough value. The amount of money that I spent and my manager spent, uh, on the region on helping, uh, prospects or bringing in coaches and bringing in speakers and, and flying in top advisors from all over the country to come speak to the region. Um, you know, the seminars, you know, every single, uh, month, well, I, I actually ended up being every single week. If you throw in the seminars that I did for the consultants as well, but thousands of dollars were spent on seminars where we basically created this, uh, turnkey, prospecting for the consultants, all they had to do was invite people to the seminar. Um, and we would get anywhere between 50 to hundred people to these seminars. We provided them with, with wine and coffee and desserts and some hors d'oeuvres. So literally no excuse for any advisor to say, well, I don't know what to do next. There was always something because there was always something that we provided to our consultants that they could invite people to. Uh, if it wasn't just ideas, it was the seminars, or it was events that we'd hold on for clients that people could invite to. So that was the other thing as well. So, so I guess the first one was, you know, putting the right people in place with the right work ethic and the right uh, growth mindset. The second one was the, the, the enormous amount of support that we provided to our consultants. And the third, I, I think, and this can't be understated, and I mentioned this before, was the culture. Um, a lot of times, you know, I would head out for, you know, lunch uh, or dinner at Midtown and I would peek into a restaurant 
And guess what? There'd be like seven or eight Midtown consultants just hanging out, having a beer, yeah. uh, sharing a plate of nachos and discussing ideas and concepts. And to me, I, you know, I, I wore that as, as a badge of honor and, and, and pride. And like, you know what? These guys have families to go home to, but you know what? They just, they want to hang out with their, their colleagues and share ideas. And, and you know what? Even some, some horrible fail, failure stories too, right? And that's okay too. So I think those those three are uh, a large part of, of what led to the success of, of uh, Midtown. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. And I, I think the the interesting thing for me was I didn't really appreciate what you were doing with the seminars at the time because I'd never been in a sales role before to understand what was usually offered. But mm-hmm. now that I'm no longer at IG or, and I've seen other things, I, I realize I've, I've never had an environment like that where my, my business leader would give me an opportunity to put people in a room and, and you would effectively sell them on ideas so that I can then go and close them on ideas. Like that was, was that something that you came up with? That was an IG thing or that was just something you sort of had an idea and ran with it? Uh, it was mostly an idea that I, that I ran with. Um, the reason it came about was, you know, when, when I found a time in my career where I felt I was being, I was stagnating a little bit, mm-hmm. um, or I wanted the, the, the more exponential growth, you know, I learned from people that seminars is a great way to go. You get an opportunity to get in front of a group of people. So, you know, instead of trying to close one person at a time, or at least get one person at a time interested in, in what you have to offer, now you're getting 20 or 30 people, right? So it worked really well for me. And as you know, you know, one of the greatest fears in life is for people is public speaking or as Seinfeld said, (laughs) um, uh, the second biggest fear in life is death. And the the first biggest fear is public speaking. Mm -hmm. So, uh, people would rather die than actually be caught public speaking. So I knew there were a lot of barriers to being able to take advantage of, of these seminars. And I wanted to remove all those barriers. So I was willing to do all the work and all the consultants had to do was just basically invite people. And the beauty of it was, you know, there was no pressure to bring out a huge amount of people. Uh, You know, for anyone who's done seminars in the past, it's almost like, you know, unless you can get 10, 15, 20 people out, you know, it may not be worth your time to, to do all this work and give this presentation for say five or 10 people. Um, so another problem for the consultants were, you know, even if they were comfortable delivering uh, a speech or a seminar presentation, well, what if they do all this work, spend all this money and five people come out, you know, it looks, it looks bad on them. So I, I even removed that pressure from them was, okay, you know what? I don't really care. Invite one person out, invite two people out. Well, we have, we have a region of, you know, 80 to hundred consultants, even if 10 to 15 participate but they all on average bring two or three people out. Well, guess what? Well, there's like 30, 40, 50 people uh, per seminar. So we've even removed the the pressure of having to invite lots of people out as well. And I felt that it was key for a lot of consultants development because um, what happened was if they came across somebody that may not be interested or maybe it was they were on their chicken list, for instance, so an example would be maybe a consultant that's still in the first couple of years, they're not entirely com- confident in their ability to close this big client. Well, guess what? You know, don't take my word for it. Let me invite you to this amazing seminar. There's going to be a speaker there. It's going to be our regional director. You know, we'll ship, we'll, you know, we'll have a glass of wine. 
uh, there's be some hors d'oeuvres, some snacks, whatever it is. You can sit back and relax. No one's going to sell you anything. Uh, all you get to do is listen to this presentation. And at the end of the presentation, you can decide whether or not it makes sense to move forward. So I took away a lot of the objections uh, for consultants to not be successful. And that was just one of many things that we did. And I think that helped a lot of consultants launch their career. Um, especially if you're a brand new consultant coming in and you want to get a lot of people out, that's a fantastic way to, uh, to get, you know, 10, 15 people exposed to what you're doing. And, you know, it's very exciting when you're just getting started and you've already got 10 or 15 appointments booked, uh, uh, 10, 15 motivated people, uh, booked and close, you know, five or six clients and make yourself a fairly hefty paycheck to get your career started. I think that went a long way to, you know, providing some comfort and some encouragement to some consultants. Yeah. And I think the, like, one of the biggest things I, I really took from working at IG was the concept selling. I'd, I'd never really seen that. And I think when I got to go to, well, when we had the training in-house and then when I went to, got to go to those seminars and you'd walk through all those concepts, if you'd go to a few seminars, eventually you'll learn the concepts. And then eventually once you learn the concepts, you can walk someone through the concept. But is that those concepts, some of those you've come up with on your own, some of those you've seen, like that was the thing that I, I really <laughs> think that you had a skill of working out a way to talk to talk to someone about insurance that no one can really understand what it is and, and actually tell them a story and say this is how it could work. Yeah, I think you're 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 right chris um you know facts tell stories sell uh too many people uh including like sales people especially they'll go in and they'll say well this is 30 percent better or this is you know 10 percent cheaper no one cares like honestly no one cares like they don't you can talk about facts all day long until you can actually resonate with the person or the prospect you're not going to close them so yeah you're correct you know all my concepts uh, revolved around a story. Uh, a lot of times it was stories that uh, were my own stories in the sense that they were the stories of my clients. Um, so, you know, it was more impactful for me, which which made it easy for me to be passionate about what I was talking about. Um, but to answer your question, whether they were my concepts, I'm all for R&D and you know what R&D stands for, right? Yep. Research and development. Yeah, well, that's, that's your, that's your version that's your version of R and D. My version of my version of R and D is Robin Duplicate. So, um, what what I did, and this is a true story, by the way. Um, you know, when I was fairly new in my career, I had no problem getting in my car and driving five hours to Montreal to pick the brains of some of the top advisors. Uh, I would jump on a flight. I would pay for it myself to and fly to Vancouver to meet with some other advisors and, and get some of their ideas. Um, I don't know how many times I paid for other advisors to fly in to meet with me. Well, they would come in and, and talk to my region, but I always flew them in the day before, put them up in a hotel, and we'd always get together for dinner, and they would share all these concepts with me. So, yeah, I can't take credit for any of these concepts. Uh, you know, at best, I, I may have taken the concept and, and tweaked it a little bit to make it more towards my style. But all the concepts that I presented uh, over the years uh, came from some other brilliant, brilliant advisors. And I guess since we, since 
I've, I've worked at IG. Obviously, you've worked at IG. A lot of the listeners maybe haven't. Is there a concept that you like that maybe you could run us through just to give people a feel for how that works? Wow. Uh, probably not one that would make sense okay. to people who, who aren't in the industry. Yep. But what I can say is um, what, I'll, what, I'll, what I can say, Chris, is that I'll kind of give an example of how I, I brought things to life. So true story. Um, I'm, I'm sitting with, uh, uh, with a couple, um, they were referred to me by, by some other clients. And I remember we're having this conversation and they were amazing clients. Um, uh, really nice people, not a ton of money, but you know, I also love dealing with people that were just good people. Uh, you know, I, I fired a million dollar clients and kept clients with $50,000 simply because I just enjoyed um, working with them. But I remember, you know, we're having this conversation about their finances and their kids were in the corner and they're kind of playing with their coloring books or whatever they're doing. They're being well-behaved and we're talking about tax savings and vacations and that kind of stuff. And it turns out, you know, I would always ask questions to get them to open up about, you know, what, motivates them you know what are their hot buttons and they mentioned oh you know a couple weeks ago we were at disney and then all of a sudden you know they're talking about disney and their eyes light up right and the kids start going crazy oh my god yeah disney right and you know it was a moment and i'm like wow like like they must have had a really good time because this entire family here is just going crazy talking about disney and they started showing pictures and uh, so clearly disney was you know something which was very emotional and impactful for them as a family. And, you know, of course I asked the question, so, you know, you know, you know, do you plan on going again next year? And they said, no, no, we can't, we can't do that. Uh, and I said, why not? Well, because it costs $5,000 and we just, you know, simply can't afford to be going to, to Disney world on a regular basis. So yeah, we, we don't know if we can ever go again or when, we, when we'll go be able to afford to go again. So I asked, you know, how much does it cost or how much did it cost you? And this was $5,000. This was probably 10, 15 years ago. So it probably costs a little bit more now. By the time it was $5,000. So when I walked away, and again, so in reference to your listeners, what we normally did was the first meeting was all about gathering information. So, you know, incomes, you know, assets, liabilities, that type of thing. And then we also did something called a goals and concerns. So we find out you know, what their goals are, both short, medium, and, and long-term. So this may ring a bell to you, Chris, and probably bring, bring back memories. Yep, and fond memories. So, I'm sorry? I say fond memories. <laughs> fond memories. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 I didn't say anything at the time, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, by God, I got to find myself. I got to find $5,000 of savings somewhere, <laughs> right? So sure enough, I went back to the office, put my – put pencil to paper and did my stuff, did my thing. And, you know, I, I, um, I found a way to save them $5,000 every year in, in tax savings. So I remember in this second appointment now, so I'm going through the presentation and of course you're going through a presentation. What are you talking about? Facts, right? Big deal. Numbers, numbers. And then it came out to the tax savings part and I said, Oh, and by the way, if we implement this strategy and that strategy, uh, we're going to be able to save you. I'm going to be able to save you $5,000 a year in taxes. So I'm waiting there and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I, I, I kind of suspected I wouldn't necessarily get the reaction that I was 
hoping for. Because at this point, you know, you're probably 30 minutes into a presentation. There's a bunch of numbers being thrown around. Um, I, I'm sure they're somewhat excited, but they're probably a little bit confused. But then I remind them and I said, well, this $5,000 would represent a free trip to Disney, Disney World every year if you choose to go. And Chris, like their eyes lit up like dinner plates. And at that very moment, like I knew it was over, like I had them, like they, like they were, they would become clients. And of course they did, but that kind of proves my point in the sense that, that facts tell, but stories sell type of thing. If you can create an emotional connection between what you do and, or what you're doing for your clients and, and how that will affect them in their real lives, that is what makes a difference. Like that will truly make a difference on whether people will want to become your client, whether people will want to trust you with their finances, or if you're in sales or real estate or whatever it is, that's what's going to, you have to connect with people. And that's, that's when the magic happens. And that's when you will actually start to see a lot more success in your life is when you connect with people on, on a, a, a life level, a, an emotional level where people can relate to you and, and like you and, and trust you. And that's a small example that, that I can give you that would hopefully resonate with a lot of your listeners. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. And it, it took me back into how you'd go about creating something like that, just understanding what their emotional wants and needs are and then being able to put a number on it and, and turn a number into a story effectively. You yeah. Know? And... um. So where, where to from here? Like you, you mentioned you've got a franchise. There's a chance you go back into some financial planning work. It seems like to me that you'd be great at sales coaching no matter what you do or, or coaching, personal coaching or, or whatever. What, what is it now that you've been able to step away from IG and sort of get your head together, walk out of that cloud over that first couple of weeks, what are the things that you realize are really lighting you up now? It's, it's the opportunity to just make a difference in, in, in more people's lives. So, you know, working at IG, I did get a chance to impact a lot of people, obviously about 100 advisors, um, but then a lot of their clients as well indirectly. But with what I'm looking at doing now, I feel like I can 10x that. There's just so many things out there. You know, when I, was, when I wrote my story, which I shared with you earlier today, Chris, Mm -hmm. um and again that's being launched in october mm -hmm. you know um at first i'm thinking well you know what it's, it's kind of an interesting story but you know um it, it does it really need to be told and i think when it's your own story you kind of question well other people have been divorced and other people lost their jobs so, like big deal big deal big deal but when you put it together in a story and you know so many things happened to me in 2020 and how i overcame everything you know, when I was talking to Les Brown's publisher and then I started talking to my friends, they're like, no, man, you, you, you have to tell this story because, you know, um, you have an opportunity to inspire a lot of people out there that are, that are suffering through some challenges and your story could make a difference. Right. And at first, you know, there were some doubts there, but then as I started writing my story and it, and it started coming to life, I was like, wow, you know, this is a, this is actually a pretty, this is actually a pretty decent story. And maybe Chris, you can give me some feedback on what you thought about it. But, you know, by the time that I went through the process and everything was done and all the editing and, and, um, you know, all the people in the, in the, in the publishing company kind of had their fingers in it as well, as far as, you know, 
they, they call it polishing and that kind of stuff. The end product, I'm thinking, yeah, that's pretty good. And I'm happy with it. I'm proud of it. But the funny thing is, you know, um, I didn't do it for the money because there's, there is actually no money in it for me because this is a collaboration with Les Brown. So all the proceeds of this book um, will go to uh, Les, Les Brown's uh, charity of choice. I did it for a couple of reasons. One was for me, I found it very therapeutic. Um, just being able to kind of, kind of, you know, tell my story and put it on paper, kind of getting to walk through it and think through everything that happened to me. Um, I found that very therapeutic. It, it, I think it helped me get over a lot of things. And um, secondly, you know, when I was talking to another author, they said, do you think your story can impact one person? Just one. And I said, well, yeah, of course, f- for sure. And he goes, write the damn story. Just write the damn story. And, you know, that was kind of an eye-opening experience as well. So moving forward, Chris, you know, uh, I have some pretty big aspirations um, looking at opening multiple businesses and just putting key people in place um, to kind of help them in their lives. And I know that, you know, everything that I'm doing um, will help other people in in their lives too. So now it's all a matter of um, seeing how many people that I can help um, moving forward. I, it's actually really great timing that you share that story with me. Uh, and can I, can I go into some of the detail? Oh, of course. Okay. So obviously I've seen you as a leader. You're my first ever sales leader. And I always look up to you as a person, uh, who's particularly positive and seems like nothing would ever get you down. So you end up in a situation where, the job finishes that you've had for a long time, issues with your relationship and that finishes and then you end up in a period of depression. And as I said to you via text, I it there's it's very similar to what happened to me when I left Canada and for a long time I didn't share the full part of that story because there was mental health issues that were involved in that. And and it's only in the last couple of weeks that I've come out and told people openly that I've been diagnosed with bipolar. And that's part of the reason why I left Canada. Mm-hmm. And so the big thing for me though, that I that resonated for me was I ended up in depression when I, for me, it was, I was in real estate and I wasn't doing well. I wasn't making the calls. I wasn't making the money. I ended up depressed, I ended up manic, I ended up in a mental health ward and then my mum dragged me back to Australia and I thought my girlfriend would come with me but she decided to break up with me instead. And wow. so for me, the the big thing was, well, what? how did that happen? Why did that happen? And I realised that my my girlfriend really just stopped believing in me. She wasn't. She wasn't on the bus with me anymore about what my goals and dreams were. And and it was a big fuck you. And it was basically saying, I don't think this guy's going to turn his life around. And at that point, just like you did, I needed to make sure that I could drop some weight. I needed to get out in the market again, see if I could find someone. And then I also needed to get my shit together, make some money and, and pull my career in line and also point out that this mental health issue was not going to was not going to mean that I couldn't do anything with my life do you know and so when i read through your story 
and I appreciate that a lot of the time it's it's not easy for us to to be able to be really open in the story and that's what I certainly see in the story that you wrote that you were mm-hmm. open and telling exactly what you went through and so I again that that you talk about being in a sales position and being able to walk into someone's home and see they see what they care about and all that kind of thing I don't I don't think you can connect with someone really deeply until you they really know the depths of what you've gone through and so i think the real benefit that you have in telling that story is that someone like me who's always looked up to you can read that story and go fuck i must have gone through something really tough here and he's got his act back together and he's fucking ready to take on the world again and that's where you go all right well why not me yeah so yeah so i'm i as i as you're talking through it i was sitting here with tears in my eyes because it meant a lot for you having shared that story and yeah i think you did a really good job but so i hope i hope it does a lot for you yeah and you know i appreciate you sharing your story i know um i know you're gonna make it through with flying colors because you know i've had the privilege of knowing you for i think it was a couple of years we, well you were in town i can't remember yeah 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 about a year um yeah but you, you you know, I can I can see goodness in people, and I definitely saw that in you. And uh, I have no doubt you'll be successful. Yeah, thank you. And I think the I think the big thing is for me, and obviously you've gone through this. It's like, and you've got that that milestone too, turning fifty. So it's basically life before fifty, and everything that you're going through, and then this this idea that you put down to say life after 50 is going to be different. I'm going to do even more. And so it's like that, that line you put in the sand and you make it really clear that you put that line in the sand. And for me, being clear with it and you, you don't have a choice now. You've burned all the bridges, you know, like you've already said that you're going to go out and do well. So now people will call you a hypocrite if you don't. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so now you have to live up to your word. So I think it's, yeah, like it's it's great to see and it was great to read. So, and I'm interested to see what other stories are in that Les Brown book as well because that looks, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be clear, it's, I've, I've already done a lot of things. They've already, they're already in play. So it's not like, um, so yeah, so the story part, yes, but all, like the franchise is already in play. Yeah. Um, one started opening in November, two more are going to open in the spring of next year. Um, the book's been written. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of already done, uh, that I've already can move off my bucket list, but I just have so much more that I want to give. Yeah. That's awesome. And so, um, when you, how did you go about picking a franchise? Oh, that's actually an interesting story. Um, so, uh, I mean, it, it's uh, for those who get a chance to read my story, you know, going through a, a divorce um, is probably one of the worst things you can ever go through. And, you know, you start, I look back and I start reflecting on a lot of things. And I have two daughters that I love dearly. And uh, I, I, there was one story that, or one situation that came up during dinner time. And, you know, one of my daughters, she, she likes to eat and she likes to eat nice food whenever we go out she gets um steaks and salmon and that kind of stuff and for whatever reason the the story came up that there's a there's a keg mansion uh on the top of a hotel in niagara falls so it's kind of like a higher end keg 
And I think at the time it was like, it was like she ordered a salmon steak and it was like $42. Right. Um, and her mother, I think it was her grandmother mentioned it, but then her mother kind of reiterated it. Oh, you got to make sure you, you got to make sure you, you marry a successful person, uh, a su- sorry, a successful husband so that, you know, you can continue to eat these, uh, these nice meals. And I was like taken aback, like, believe me, I, I'm, like, I'm no feminist or all that kind of stuff, but I was like a little bit offended in the sense that like, why would you tell my daughter that if she wants something in life, she has to depend on her husband to get it. And I'm like, no, she can go out, make her own money so that she can buy her own $42 salmon steaks at, at the keg. That's, that's what I said. Right. So then when I was looking back at that particular story, I realized that, you know, she or my two daughters really didn't have the ideal female role models, role models in their lives. So, when I was looking for a franchise, I mean, obviously as an entrepreneur, I'm looking for something that's going to make money. That's got to be part of it. But the reason I resonated towards this franchise was because it is almost exclusively um, uh, run by women. I think 12 of the 13 or 13 of the 14 executives in this company are all female. It's basically, it's a, it's a beauty, it's a, it's a beauty bar. It's called the 10 spot. Um, and something like 90% of the franchisees are also women. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking this is like the perfect marriage. This is uh, oh yeah, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> uh, so here's an opportunity to start a franchise because I was looking, I was doing research on many franchises. Uh, so, so I love the culture. Um, I love the, the numbers, um, opportunity to expand in Canada and also in the U S cause they just started expanding to the U S as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking this is something that I can build. And then eventually I can pass if they choose to, I can pass these franchises franchises off to my daughters mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful way to surround themselves with all these empowered, ambitious, successful women. So not only are they going to be able to earn a great living and run a business, but now they're surrounding themselves with great, amazing quality people, which happen to be women. Um, And in their case will be fantastic role models for their future. So that's how I ended up with this particular franchise. Um, It was kind of like a, it kind of hit two parts of what I want to achieve. One, the, the franchise entrepreneur side, but at the same time, it was an opportunity to surround my daughters with really good, positive, ambitious female role models. So that's how I ended up with that franchise. Awesome. That sounds great. And yeah, hopefully your your daughters can come to appreciate it over time, just what you've you've offered them. And, Hope so. Um, <laughs> They're at that age right now where they don't, I don't think they appreciate anything. <laughs> 17 and 14. <laughs> and I was, we've, we've been speaking for a little while now, so I certainly don't want to take up too much more of your time. But is there anything else you'd like to go through before we wrap up? Um, I think maybe, I think maybe I'll just leave it off with, um, if, if people really want to make a difference in their lives, you know, change your mindset, you know, definitely have a growth mindset. Um, you know, you don't get in life what you want, you get in life what you are. So if you want more in life, you have to become more. I truly believe that, uh, surround yourself with quality people, 
Um, this is a tough one. And, uh, you know, maybe some people might not like this message, but if there's people in your life that are holding you back, um, and this includes family members, like if you don't cut them out of like completely start limiting the amount of time that you spend with people that are, that are draining you or holding you back. And, uh, cause you know, there's a saying that says you are the sum of the, the five people you spend the most time with. You know, I, I believe in that as well. And probably the most important thing is develop your communication skills because, you know, once you open your mouth, you tell the world who you are and, um, it doesn't take a lot of work, but it does take some work to, you know, put yourself in the proper mindset and whether it's taking a course or, you know, um, so Chris, what's the, um, what's that company called that does the public speaking or the courses? Oh, Toastmasters. Toastmasters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a fantastic organization, you know? So in short, you know, change your mindset, surround yourself with quality people and develop your communication skills and you are off to the races. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for your time today. It was great being able to catch up after all these years and uh, all the best with everything that you're up to at the moment. Thank you so much. It was an absolute privilege and an honor. I've had a really fun time and I wish you luck in uh, your future endeavors too, Chris. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye. My pleasure.